Uh, we are excited to hear from our, our featured speaker, Commissioner Rachel Arfa, um, but, and she's got an incredible bio. Um, I'm not allowed to do that, though, because we have a very special guest who virtually joining us uh, who would like to introduce the commissioner. So please welcome our great mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Hello, everyone. I'm Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and I have the great honor of introducing Mayor's Office for People with Disabilities Commissioner Rachel Arfa to you, the City Club audience. Commissioner Arfa is working hand in glove with my administration to make Chicago the most accessible city in the nation. She's the first deaf person to serve as a cabinet member in the mayor's cabinet and is the highest ranking deaf person serving in municipal government nationwide. Since assuming her role in 2020, Commissioner Arfa has improved the accessibility of city services by introducing access officers in every city department and sister agency. She was also integral in creating the new role of technology accessibility compliance officer in order to support our ongoing digital accessibility efforts. Commissioner Arfa is also someone who knows what it means to let community lead. So, for example, through her work with the COVID Vaccine Disability Working Group, she worked with our Department of Public Health to ensure that educational materials and operational processes were informed by feedback from people living with disabilities. Commissioner Arfa has also partnered with local and federal leaders to ensure disability resources reach victims of gun violence and most recently work with Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events to create a mural on the outside wall of the Moped Field Office. This mural, which will be created by Sam Kirk, a noted muralist in our city, will be informed by the listening sessions with the disability community. So above all, Commissioner Arfa is a fierce advocate for the disability community. And another example, she recognized the gap in supports for job seekers with disabilities and work with everyone in our administration to launch the MOPD Career Center on July 26th of this year. The Career Center, funded by $1.2 million investment, provides a central resource to help residents with disabilities access job and career opportunities and works with employers to increase inclusive hiring practices and create pathways to employment and opportunities. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you, I am beyond grateful for Commissioner Arfa's steadfast leadership and look forward to our continued collaboration as we make this city as accessible as possible. So thank you, and now it's my great pleasure to turn things over to MOPD Commissioner Rachel Arfa. And good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Commissioner Rachel Arpa at the Mayor's Office for People with Disabilities. And I'm really honored to have this opportunity from the City Club to speak in front of you today. First, I want to thank Mayor Neifert for that um, incredible introduction. It's such an honor and a privilege to work for Mayor Neifert and the work that I do every day would not be possible without her advocacy and support. She championed out of our accessibility work across the city. I cannot do this work without Mayor Neifert. <laughs> Yeah, I want to thank um, so many people who are here today. First, I want to thank um, First Lady Amy Asherman for being here, and also my brother, Commissioners, um, Commissioner Morrison of um, the Department of Housing, and then um, Commissioner Chris Brown of the Public Library, and um, Commissioner Brown spoke here um, 
last week, so he's been very helpful, in helping me to prepare for today. <laughs> so I appreciate all your roles. And you also had a fantastic event last week with the Library Foundation. I also want to thank Park's CEO, Rosa Escarino, who's also here. And thank um, the Chicago Public Library, Peace Suburban Bus, and Access Living for their support in um, bike tables for today's event. And, um, I also want to um, thank my mother, who um, I think I've already figured out before I start that she's my biggest cheerleader. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm very lucky to have my mom at the support of um, so many um, friends and family here and um, the support of my brother and my sister-in-law, Rosie, and my dad, who passed away 12 years ago, but he's always in the house. You know what I think? Um, um, Representative Ian Williams will be here, too. Thank you. And um, I also want to thank um, the speech therapists who I've worked with throughout most of my life, Minty Kabamis, for being here, who I spent many hours with her learning how to talk and hear and pronounce words. And Minty was not only a speech therapist, she was also a mentor, and I still think of her advice um, every day. So thank you, Minty. Um, finally, I want to thank uh, my team at the mayor's um, office for people with disabilities and thank you for um, helping us do this work every single day. Um, thanks to you, we are working to make the city of Chicago the most accessible city in the nation. So before I start, um, I'd rather um, thank the Senior Club of Chicago for their work in making today's event more accessible. Um, so you will see um, next to me in America, signing Richard Turbiner. You also see captioning about the screen. Um, so I'm signing Richard Turbiner next to me, Jen McElroy, and then we have Kathy Vacon, who's providing the captioning from um, the back of the room. If we are in a wheelchair accessible venue, and this is just one of the ways that we can continue to make our spaces more accessible. And I really appreciate the Senior Club support and commitment to this. So before I begin, I want to share with you a moment. So in 1983, my mom took me with her to work. She introduced me to her boss. Her boss was Mayor Harold Washington. It was 1983. It was the first day of the Chicago Farmers Market. And I remember two things from that day. Number one, as a Democrat who struggled to communicate and um, had to ask adults how to, to take the time to look at me so I could be the other person communicate with me. I appreciated how Mayor Washington, and you can see this in this picture, he crunched down to my level to make eye contact with me. And he greeted me, um, holding out his hand. And I learned the power of that moment in the time that he took to do that. The second thing I learned um, from that day was about um, the value of public service um, from me of Washington, but also from my mother, Nancy Blue, who, um, as was mentioned before, she worked for five years. Through both of them, I learned that about the power of city government to provide innovative solutions to make people's lives better. (laughs) 
Um, so I think to talk about another moment, this is from April 2016, and in the first picture, I am standing on the steps of the United States Supreme Court with a lot of other deaf and hard hearing attorneys as part of the deaf and hard hearing bar association. And this is the first time the deaf lawyer have ever been sworn into the Supreme Court bar. We are all leaders across the country in the different fields that we practice in. At the time, I was working as an attorney for equal equality, not disability rights, and I'm so um, glad to see thank you to my former colleagues for being here is support today. Um, there we have many others who work in government, who work in private practice. But I think that we have in common was that each one of us had our own struggles in trying to navigate the world growing up and had to advocate for communication access throughout our entire lives just to get access to the places that we were in and understand what was happening. In fact, um, the doctor who diagnosed me here in class when I was eating my own told my peers, I would not be able to talk. I would not be able to read past a third grade reading number, and I would not have a normal life. Obviously, my peers did not listen to that doctor. Um, so there's no photos allowed in the um, Supreme Court. So this is a drawing from the um, illustrating of the Supreme Court. Everybody sees that um, we are rising to stand up as a names account to be sworn in. And you will see in America sign language interpreter who's interpreting. And then you also see um, one of our members, me and me, um, looking at an iPad where real-time captioning was being provided from another part of the room. This was a very big deal to have an iPad in the courtroom because there was a ban on technology. So that was one of the many things that we had to negotiate just to be able to participate in this ceremony. None of these accommodations was set up for us, um, and we had made a request to the court to say we need some accessibility to be able to participate. We are attorneys, we are members in good standing. We passed um, our bar exams, it met other criteria, but the court's Initial response was, no, we're not going to provide that. When, um, we had a pretty powerful group as a group of deaf attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> so we all worked together to inform the court and to make it more, um, the, and they eventually agreed to provide this accommodation. But when I wanted to see, would you see these pictures, then we were not just given these accommodations, we had to fight for them, and we had to advocate for them. This may sound unusual to you, but for myself, if so many people with disabilities, this is the common experience that happens every single day. And um, I've always had to ask or request accommodation or accessibility just to be able to participate in many things throughout our life. And when I was in kindergarten through 12th grade, I was the one who had to teach my teachers how to accommodate me in the classroom through um, my whole life. When, um, so I really had to tell the teachers, you know, I'm deaf and I need you to not talk to the blackboard. I need you to help me make sure that everybody else in the classroom also follows best practices, so then I could be the lips and participate. I now realize two things. I realize how much information I missed out on through my education. What thing that didn't help me um, was that I learned to read. I learned how to read when I was three. And my love of books helped me to fill in many of the gaps on my own. 
It then I also realized how much emotional labor I spent at trying to access my own education. And I was very tired on that. And I was trying to bring a process information. With the pandemic first started, many people complained about Zoom fatigue. Well, for people who are deaf and hard of hearing and for people who have different disabilities, there is a fatigue that is involved with navigating the world through your disability. I did realize the difference until I went to college at the University of Michigan, where for the first time, I see somebody say Michigan. Come <laughs> 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 um, It was the first time in my life that I didn't have to fight for my services. The University of Michigan said to me, whatever you need for your classes, for your extracurricular activities, no problem, we'll give it to you. And that was a certain um, moment that um, had an impact because then I know that I had to spare that energy and figure try just to get access to my classes. And I stand to be to extracurricular activities where I learned and built my leadership skills because of that decision to provide me with whatever access I needed. So imagine if you had this kind of interaction for every single part of your life, whether it's transportation, work, going to see um, an event after work, or um, other tasks that you need to do. The, one of the solutions to doing that is to be proactive about providing accessibility rather than waiting for a person with a disability to ask for and proactively provide and other people know you need to provide that. This is emotional labor the people with disabilities do. It is a cost to doing this emotional labor. We talk about emotional labor with other marginalized groups. We recognize that emotional labor. For example, there are articles about how um, married women um, end up doing more of the housework, more of the child care. We recognize that there is an extra effort there. Another example is um, after the murder of George Floyd, um, there was starting to be an awareness that um, white people should not rely on people of color to learn more only uh, that we need to learn more about anti-racism and in connection to that this year then, um, anti-racism books shot up 2,000% because we were recognizing there are other ways to take out that understanding of um, how we can build an anti-racist society um, even when LGBTQ awareness pronouns are becoming more widely used, if people are learning more about, for example, why it's important to use your um, pronoun, for example, my pronoun is she, has, I should have said that at the beginning, um, in understanding, um, learning more about gender and sexual identity. So we've recognized the efforts that we need, all need to take in some of those examples. We do not yet have this recognition when it comes to people with disabilities. People with disabilities usually have the burden of explaining what we need and how we need to be made accessible and explaining those basic needs. And this is the type of work that marginalized groups do, including people with disabilities. Um, there is some recognition in the disability community of things. For example, there is um, a concept among people who may have chronic fatigue um, called spoons. And the concept is that you have 12 spoons in any given day, but you have to use those spoons You prioritize what you want to do with it that day. And if there is something that ends up taking more time, you may use up more spoons that day and not have enough for other tasks. So that one concept. Another concept is um, I'm up in front of hearing people. Um, your eyes get really tired after trying to bother you participate in conversation all the time. Um, but um, what I think that does come out of this is that it means that people with disabilities have to develop other skill sets as a result of having a disability. For example, people with disabilities are some of the best problem solvers around because every... <laughs>
um, was doing a time management because we have to coordinate our schedule with different accessibility needs. We also feel a negotiation in advocacy. We got a lot of practice at that. Um, people with disabilities also um, um, very good at using technology to increase access. Yeah, some of the technologies that we have used have become adopted by um, the rest of us, uh, by mainstream society. For example, the first one I'll talk about is captioning. And this box here is um, the first captioning decoder that my family bought in 1980 because the TV did not have captions. Yeah, so they had to hook up the brown machine that's at the top to the TV. And there were only a couple of TV shows. Well, I was young at that time, so there were only two cartoons that were had captions at the time. And I arranged my schedule so that I could watch them at 6 a.m. <laughs> but that's how much was non accessible at the time. And then um, another version came out, which is the black version, but uh, and I used to take that with me to sleep over parties. So then I could watch movies with my friends, and my friends, poor parents, had to spread out this type connecting these blacks to their TVs. And then in 1990, um, I was passed um, for captioning decoders in every TV. So that means that most of you never had to worry about this kind of box just to be able to turn out the captions. Today, um, you see captions here, so I know that many of you are using the captions here today. When you watch a video, up to 80% of people watch videos with captions, whether on TV or at the phone. But we started using that in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Um, text messaging is another example. Um, text messaging was invented to help that people communicate with each other. It now, my brother uses text messaging so that he doesn't have to talk to my mom on the phone. It <laughs> <laughs> um, then also people with disabilities have been um, using speech to text software for a decade. For example, tracker speaking and jazz. But now I think everybody in this room knows the worst. Hey, sorry. <laughs> but people with disabilities have been using that to make, make, meet a number of needs for years. We all know the better for some curb costs, which help provide more accessible sidewalks. But that means that everybody uses them, not just um, wheelchair users or people with other physical disabilities. Then of course, um, another example of technology is um, accessible buses adapt to car covering above and disability device applicants uh, advocating for uh, bus systems to be accessible. And today, CTE buses are now 100% accessible. And then also reducing number of other. <laughs> It then also includes a number of our other transportation systems, like Pace Suburban Bus, which has a number of accessible vehicles too. So now that has become the predominant type. So as you're trying to figure out what the next big technology is, look to the disability community, we're probably already using it. <laughs> we are early adopters of these tools, these examples approve. And yet, when we look to the disability community and employment, we don't quite see these high numbers. So the employment rate of people with disabilities continues to be 18.1% compared to 63% of people without disabilities, even though the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed 32 years ago. It, and if the women is also higher among people with disabilities who are black and that to next level of white and Asian people with disabilities. So we still have more work to do. And then people with disabilities are many more likely to be entrepreneurs. A part of that is after because of the barriers in accessing employment. Government is an area where there's not as much difference, so government seems to be a, level, a, more, a place of more opportunity. 
Um, I think it's also important to, to define disability. So the definition of disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act is a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits more than one major life activity, or you have a history of such impairment, or you've occurred and having such an impairment. It's a very broad definition because it means major life activity means you're it's difficult for you to communicate, to breathe, to move, to care for yourself to sleep um, in many more um, activities. Disability is also, um, it looks in its different. Disability is visible, is invisible, is acquired, um, including people who may become disabled from gun or community violence. And disability is likely under count. I spent a lot of time looking at the data um, and I think that there are still so many gaps where someone who may not identify as having participated is not counted. Who are the people with disabilities or not always including? One of the things that disability is the only group that anyone could become a member of at any time. There are a number of assumptions about disability that um, keep us from making progress in terms of disability employment and a greener understanding. Um, in first, there's an assumption about what disability means and is often um, because of a limited life experience in knowing somebody with a disability. Television media does not help because there is a lack of authentic representation of characters with disabilities in TV media. And that's a huge opportunity that needs to improve. But then uh, people have to rely on maybe assumptions they have or um, when else happens, I think, is then people may be afraid to ask questions if they become uncomfortable, but rather than leaning to that discomfort, um, the opposite happens if that engagement doesn't happen. And you know, the example of them is, is that um, sometimes people can't understand me um, in his stand, um, saying, I'm sorry, could you say that again? Which I don't because it tells me that you're trying to communicate with me. People just put off the way to ignore what I'm saying. But that's even worse. I would much rather they do engage and say, what did you say? Or could you say that again? And I experienced that and that in Anchor Town where people are faking on. <laughs> <laughs> But this discomfort is what holds us back. Um, I really encourage you, if you have this bias or um, a discomfort, lean into that discomfort and explore why you have that discomfort. You doing the work will help to clean opportunities for so many people with disabilities. There are also assumptions about the skill set of people with disabilities beyond representing in just about every field. Um, I still meet people who can't believe that I'm a deaf commissioner. Um, and there are people who work in every field in question, someone based at their disability. And then another assumption is about reasonable accommodation. There are assumptions about providing reasonable accommodation in the workplace, um, in reasonable accommodation, including providing any accessibility or modification to the process so then a person with disability had equal better access to the benefits and privileges of employment. There's an assumption that accommodations are expensive. Many accommodations do not cost um, Anything, for example, modified work schedule, work from home, which I think many of us have done in the last um, 24 months, or um, other taking breaks, other um, modification, and then um, many other accommodations, maybe a more time purchase, um, assistive technology. For example, there are other accommodations that may cost more, but there's still an assumption about how. They need to be provided, so that's an area where I think then having a conversation. This is also called the interactive process to find out more, um, will help to clear that up. 
Um, I, I have to talk about um, another a comedy issue that is pretty the news, um, which is from uh, Pennsylvania, sending Kiyadinit Betterman, who has been using, he was been criticized for uh, using captioning to help her participate in an interview. He's been judged for uh, using captioning. But, um, and I think that that nice empty story hit, but Rock, David P. I wrote a green article about this in the New York Times. Um, but he's a man who's saying, um, I now have this disability because of my stroke. And I'm using captioning. And he was, this report made him seem like less than, um, because he's using a tool. And by the way, many of our platform have captioning automatic captioning. So that was a free accommodation. But he should not be judged for using that. In fact, he should be recognized for saying, here's another tool to help me to make sure that I got things correct. He's working harder to make sure that he gets the question and the information presented correct. There's somebody who could hear it is sort of multitasking. And um, the other question was, well, there's no captioning in the United States Senate. Well, I got news for you. When I worked in the Senate at Capitol Hill 20 years ago, every single Senate proceeding had captioning. <laughs> so um, let's talk about how we are leveraging the pandemic. So this is where we are now. Um, we have seen that the job market has been wide open. There are more jobs now than um, available workers for them. So we have really shifted. And then um, there are new practices about working from home, flexibility in hours and scheduling. So I became commissioner in July of 2020. And um, I was watching this, um, the was, um being in abundance of opportunities. But then I also started getting phone calls from companies that were saying to me, we would love to hire people with disabilities. Where could we go? In May, I checked with my staff who told me that the number one phone call to the mayor's office for people with disabilities over the years has been, I'm a person with a disability. Where I need to find a job. Can you help me? So, Mayor um, Neifert and I started creating a solution to this last summer to create a brand new career center to help people with disabilities get jobs. If you were to send a council to ask for a $1.2 million in funding. And I'm so excited to share with you that um, last Friday we had a few cutting for the event. <laughs> If this is also a National Disability Employment Awareness Month. I cannot think of a better time to open our career center. We opened up each other 26 virtual services. And then on Friday, we opened up our physical space. In that short amount of time, we already have 65 clients. <laughs> and 10 people have already got their jobs. And I can't wait to see more people got jobs. We had seven interviews last week, so I know that number is going to go up very quickly. I'm looking at my career center team. <laughs> <laughs> so who do we serve? We serve Chicago's with this, who identify as having a disability, who brought to the current job, and who are over age 16. And then we also serve um, senior college students with a disability who are looking for a job. And then we also provide, um, not only do we provide help with uh, finding a job, but also career readiness, working with the radio, resume, sending clues, doing practice interviews, and uh, providing counseling at the feasible accommodation process and talking about disability disclosure, which is a very big concern for many people with disabilities in um whether to disclose your disability when you apply for a job, if there's no right of work, yes. We also are investing in working with employers to create inclusive hiring practices. Um, so we will work with employers to um, identify creativeness for job opportunities, provide technical assistance, and work with you to increase accessibility. 
If you are high practice, it's works there, but providing feasible, how to provide feasible accommodation. But we need our Chicago employers to help us advance disability employment. We need employers to participate. If there are some strategies that you could put into place immediately, it's some um, you can add over time. If you see these strategies used throughout the city at the nation, um, so here's a few pictures from Friday. So, uh, Mayor Lightfoot is so committed to our center into um, a basic disability employment. And um, this is um, Byron, this man um, who's really good here. He's the first person to kind of job through our career center. He experienced, um, he fucked up. He experienced a number of barriers trying to get a job at other places across the city, and he came to us, and um, one of our staff members worked very closely with him to help him fill out an application, and shortly after, he got a job, and it had it just here. It then... Um, this is what a career center looks like. So we have a private office for counselors to meet with clients. And we thought that um, private counseling this speech was so important so the people could feel free to talk about their disability. And then um, in a way to um, address the barriers of the digital divine, we provide in a computer station upgraded with accessible technology so that uh, people with disabilities who may not have access to assistive technology could come to us center would use them to apply for jobs it could be the other assistance and that this is a great staff here in the career center who will be working so hard to make this a success um, so I would love to talk to you about um, strategies on how we could work together to advance disability employment um, for example, we find it key to work with both your DEIA and human resources recruiters. Um, I see that in many companies there's a connection between um, DEIA work, um, but then also training a human resources team who's at the front line to make sure that they are providing accessibility, to make sure that they are appropriately looking on um, creativities, gratification, and helping to guide creativities through the process. Another um, approach here is to um, look at the interviewing process. A front of an interview is not the only way to do an interview. We have seen companies like Microsoft at the Bazaar modify their interview process so that um, applicants with disabilities could come out to the company and um, provide um, and have a meaning and get to know the managers and learn more about their job while the um, at the company rather than in a formal one of one interview setting. In um, one example, then I think of his um, from University Medical Center from Cabot Irvine Works, and he's done a great job at putting together different information of resources, his representation of people with disabilities who work at the company, along with information on how to access services at the hospital, acknowledging that we may interact within organization in multiple ways. Another example is to uh, look at a job description and make sure that you're not unintentionally screening out people with disabilities. For example, many test jobs say you have to be able to lift 50 pounds. That's not something that actually happens. It is, may not be something that's required or requiring a driver's license. That is an ongoing effort that we are working on. Make sure that you provide information about um, feasible accommodations. Make sure that it's easy to um, find if that your HR staff understand how to provide them. Um, and then penetrations are a great way for people to kind of experience at the job. You build um, their experience throughout their career. But you also want to make sure that um, as an employee, you provide any accommodations needed because that has been a barrier to um, people with disabilities. Another um, strategy is to add sub-minimum range to the VOTC waiver. This is something that Mayor Nyfan has put such a leader on in the 2019 budget pass. Um, 2019 budget, Mayor Nyfan included um, a rule that sub-minimum wage must end in the city of Chicago by 2022. Um, sub-minimum wage is where... Um, 
um, Jakarta was one of two large cities to take this action in 2019. Um, this year, we're starting to see action from the federal government through the Ability Run Program, which is put into a place of rule ban except minimum wage in the Ability Run Program, which goes into effect Wednesday. Um, so Chicago was one of the early adopters of this things that may I found. Subminimal reach at home for because it created this idea that it was okay to pay people with disabilities piecemeal wages for doing tasks, which connects to an idea that it's okay to pay people with disabilities less than some of them with disability. If this takes a strong stand, I guess, and take that, and many Chicago organizations have already taken significant steps away from subminimal reach. Um, other opportunities of retention, and uh, we want to make sure um, that uh, to help you uh, retain employees with disabilities, when we are AWCs, when they sell very simple, maybe a supervisor, a manager moves to another part of the company, or leaves um, a person with a disability, minor for that, not that manager to um, be accommodating his supporter to be that future manager. Um, are still um, aware of those practices and to set up new rules for everybody to follow so then everybody understands that because we see that of change happen with the manager who was supportive leaves without telling the other new manager that they are also expected to follow these practices. We also want to encourage advancement of people with disabilities. We don't want to just get people jobs. We want to create career opportunities and advancement opportunities. And then um, if the resource groups have been a great way to um, build a sense of community here in the city of Chicago. We created our first resource group, um, and it was for people with disabilities because we want to be able to bring a whole sum to work. And um, the theme was to, uh, it's called Disability Blue about Chicago, and it just in a poor stone, it built that sense of community. Um, mentoring is such an important way to um, help provide support and guidance. The mayor's office for people with disabilities worked on a mentoring program with Microsoft and with Aspire Chicago. And we told the mentors and mentees just meet once a month. But they enjoyed it so much that we found they were actually meeting closer to once a week. If somebody got a job through, um, not at Microsoft, but the, that support me and help them to get a job faster. Um, so that's another way that we will work with employers. And um, it's important to be an ally and an applicant, which I know there's so many of you uh, in this room. And um, I was... I'm, We've discussed the um, meaning of allies in Africa. An ally is somebody who will support you while you're in the room. An advocate is someone who will support you and advocate for you when you're not in the room. Okay, so we have a number of resources here. Um, we'll be ready to work with businesses and companies. We would love your help at that. So in closing, um, I want to leave you from the region work with an artist named Sam Kunk um, to create a mural of our building. Um, he did the 60-piece mural with a number of pieces. This is just one of them. And I see this as the future. This is where we are going for all of these professions. If you Google any of these images, it's really hard to find a person with a disability who's a teacher. It's hard to find a person with a disability who's a doctor, who works in the um, computer field. We want to make this more widespread and accepted so that when you look at this picture, it's not so unusual. I'm going to describe first this picture first. There's a man with a, um, a protein and, um, and he's there to get one of a black one and he's finding the one's pride and there's a young boy who's watching him. This center figure is a woman with um, headphones who is um, surrounded by computer programming language and she looks like she's a computer programmer. 
It then the final image is a doctor wearing a bright coat sitting at a wheelchair tweeting to a patient. This picture is never going to be but more of these opportunities. And um, I invite you to join me in doing this work. Thank you. Thank you. Go anyway. Thank you. I did not want the applause to stop, so I wanted to allow her to experience that whole applause of which she was certainly worthy. Um, we have so many questions, but I am very cognizant of the time. And while I'd love to spend the entire afternoon with you all, I don't know that you all want to spend the entire afternoon with us. So, Commissioner, this was so enlightening. And um, there's so much that I have to say, but I'm not going to say it because we're running behind time. Um, I do want to ask one question. I'm going to look at the others. Um, you answered a couple of the other questions. So people who did send in questions early, please know that a couple of your answers were, were answered during her speech. Um, but there is one question from Eileen Dordek. Eileen, are you here? Oh, she's there. Okay. I know how important the arts are to you as a commissioner. Have you been able to have an impact on accessibility to the arts in Chicago? Yeah, um, thank you so much, Eileen, um, for your question. If you um, big here, um, so the arts um, have been something that I've been very passionate about. If this is how I, one of the ways that I got started in advocacy was um, I started with um, one theater at a time to work with them at providing accessibility, for example, um, Open caption performance and they experienced um, that work working in collaboration with many other advocates, um, including the Chicago Cultural and Accessibility Consortium. And there are so many more people working at them. In this role, I am just so excited that I've been able to connect disability in the arts because I really believe that the arts is what we that we could transform attitudes about disability. For example, this um, mural here that you see is just one way, and I invite you to come and look at it. Um, it is the same building where Pavilion Center is at 21 or 2 West Acton, the Central West Community Center. There are 60 pieces, it includes um, a poem from a woman named Lily T. Ankle Charleston called Disability Pride. So we welcome you to come and um, see the many different pieces. The other thing that we have done is um, we work with the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events to bring in an artist if resonance to the building. Um, if we announced her name of Friday, our other granators, who is, um, phenomenal. She's a Latina woman with a disability who likes to, um, Huge multimedia to comment and society, and I'm so excited to see what she can do. And then my team and I also work with the case in many other um, events within the city to increase accessibility. So those are just some of the many ways. And thank you for the question. Thank you, Commissioner. Clayton Pryor, I see your question about funding and available resources. I'm going to ask her to um, direct that to you later so she can talk about those fundings. But I did want you to know I saw your question. Um, so this is going to be our last question. Um, Amanda, you can bring our other goodies over as well. Deborah Gittler, are you here? Yay! Um, so this is a lot. It's it's a, a kind of a it's about gun violence and what opportunities do we have with people with disabilities? Um, their emerging work and outreach of gun violence seems to be ignored within the disability communities. Um, Chicago is investing lots of money in outreach, but what about those with disabilities? What are your thoughts? And I am going to have that be the final question, and then we will finish up our program. Thank you so much, Commissioner. 
Yeah, um, thank you so much, Deborah, for the question. Um, I agree. I think there is so much that we need to do to serve um, victims of um, current community violence who become disabled and so that um, my staff here is um, a parade person and providing services and um, serving victims with um, who become disabled. But I also now have better support um the mayor's office for people with disabilities received a grant from the United States Justice Department to serve women with disabilities who experience domestic violence. Yet we will be able to hire for that early next year. And I'm just really appreciative that we could have better support to better serve women with disabilities who um, experience gender-based violence. And then we also have an earmark from sending out document to serve Exactly this population, um, people with disabilities who require a disability as a result of cutting community violence, it will work a partnership with me and I found it so many other city departments who were to burn out it and help become people can access the resources. And one message I want to take away is that because you require disability, your life is not over. There is a grieving process. You may always grieve the predicate person, but you have opportunities open to you. We have support services, for example, at the mayor's office for people with disabilities. We have a personal assistance program that can help you um, provide up to six hours of assistance in your home. And then we also have a home modification program run by Mark here that can help make a home more accessible including addresses, bathrooms, and kitchen. So we have issues if we want people to know they can come to us to help um, find resources in community. And I know that there are some other partners working at this access the week, for example. And um, I know that equal equality is working at some other aspects too. So I think together we could really help to serve people so they know their lives are not over. They're just turning into a different way. Who was the person from the office? I think Commissioner just mentioned a staffer. Could you put your hand up? I know you're over here somewhere. There you are. Can you stand up? Because I have a feeling that there are people who want to talk to you after. So um, just what's your name? Shalette Parham. So write that down. <laughs> Never say City Club doesn't give you access. Um, so I think that we all just need to give the commissioner one more round of applause. I don't know that there is anyone in the room who is not touched by a disability, seen or silent. Um, I, I can't imagine how you can't be. Um, that has not been educated by a little bit more today. I know that I certainly have learned more in the last 45 minutes, and I thought I really knew something. So um, there goes that, right? So, Commissioner, we can't thank you enough. I am not going to belabor the time anymore. Thank you.